Okay, uh, last week we were in almost finished Colossians and we got to Colossians 4 verse 5. And Colossians 4 verse 5 talked about um, living or walking in wisdom toward outsiders. And I expected to get through more than we did. We got through one verse and I think that's okay because that was a pretty important topic. Um, the context, of course, is that we're being instructed how to live our Christianity out in front of the world. And the uh, passage that has just really resonated with me, and I know because I've been teaching, you've picked up on that, but was this description of what it looks like to be a believer. And that starts in Colossians 3:18. So if you'll bear with me, we're going to read that one more time. Uh, actually, uh, 3.12, excuse me. It says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Um, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this is the picture of a believer. It's actually the picture of Jesus Christ. Compassionate hearts, kindness, uh, humility and meekness or gentleness and, and patience. That should characterize who we are. Um, bearing with each other and forgiving and loving each other. And then there are some internal attitudes that take place as well. And those start at verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, uh, to which indeed you are called in one body. So Christians are to be people who are characterized by peace. Peace with God and peace in this world. We're to have the peace that passes understanding. We're to be kept in perfect peace. And we're not at war with God anymore. That's been settled at the cross and when we came to him. And then uh, next it says, let the word, oh, it says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So secondly, peace of God should rule in our hearts. The word of God should dwell in us richly. We're to be people of the word and his word is to come out as we admonish one another and encourage each other, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And then it repeats and be thankful. We're to be thankful people. And then finally, <clears throat> whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father, to God the Father through him. So whatever we do in word or deed, uh, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So our lives are to be lived looking like him, for him, with those attitudes. And then he gets very specific. What's the relationship between wives and husbands? That's where it's gonna be the most evident. Your, your wife or your husband knows, <coughs> excuse me, um, that's why I'm not shaking hands, um, knows, um, knows you better than anybody else and knows when those attitudes are present. It's hard to hide it from them or to, to, uh, uh, to fake it in front of them. And next is 
um, children and parents, and then finally slaves and masters. Um, all of the people we rub shoulders with constantly should see those things coming out in us. And if they don't, those are issues that we need to deal with. And then in verse two of chapter four, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, bearing, uh, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I, make it make, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul asked for prayer for himself, that the gospel would go forth. And I think that prayer then is for not just Paul, but for anybody who the gospel is going forth. We have uh, a commitment to the larger church as well. And now we get to the, the uh, issue of outsiders. So in starting in verse eight, it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Um, if you go over to Ephesians, there's a passage in Ephesians that says the same thing. It says, be careful how you walk, making the best use of the time, for the days are evil. And we said last week that word time actually is probably better uh, uh, described as, as opportunity. It's not a long period of time. He's not talking about our entire lifespan. He's talking about opportunities that come. And the idea of being careful and walking in wisdom means that we are living intentionally. Um, we are living or should be so that we are capturing the opportunities and I think also creating opportunities to share the gospel uh, for people to observe Christ in us and be attracted to Jesus Christ. Um, and so we looked last week at some of the ways that we walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And it's interesting, one of the things that Paul repeats um, fairly often is live quiet lives, live lives that don't impose upon your neighbors, live lives where you don't owe anybody anything, um, so that we are not people who are parasites on society, but are rather living our lives in a way that we're considerate of other people. Um, we're to become all things to all men so that we may win some. Uh, in other words, we're to, to, to live like Jesus lived, coming and, and being willing to put aside the non-essentials to reach other people. And um, let's see, what are some of the others that we had said last week as well? Just a second. <clears throat> um, some of you may remember them from last week. Um, um, oh, in um, Ephesians, sorry, my, my um, mind went blank there for a second. Um, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit because there it says, be careful how you walk, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, our lives have to be lived under the power of the Holy Spirit or this isn't going to happen. Um, and so that was where we spent last week. And now this week we get to verse, the second part of this. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer, how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. People are gonna watch the way that we live, but they're also gonna hear the words that we say. 
And as Christians, we're supposed to have gracious speech and we're have speech which is seasoned with salt, okay? So let's take both of those and then I do wanna give opportunities today for you to kind of share how that plays out, how you've seen it play out perhaps in your life. Um, the Bible actually talks a lot about gracious words, but our speech is to be gracious. The way we talk is to be gracious and it's to be seasoned. And actually seasoned with salt may, may exp, uh, be a descriptor of what it means to be gracious. Seasoned as with salt. By the way, that doesn't mean salty language. That, um, that means seasoned as with salt. So let, let's talk about this one first, gracious. Um, that could be that our words are always to be, um, be uh, dealing with issues of salvation, that grace should come out in our speech. And that could be an interpretation of that. But it also could be that it is their words that are gracious in the sense that the way that we speak to people is such that it, it makes them understand that we consider them to be very important, that we are treating them as, as we would wanna be treated ourselves. So when we talk about somebody being gracious, we're not necessarily saying that they came along and preach the gospel to us, right? But the way they dealt with us was such that that's the way we wanted to be dealt with ourselves. Uh, the other day I was pruning my trees. My trees hang over Winter Avenue. So April said, they're hanging too far out, we need to cut them off. So um, a farmer's probably gonna hate this, but I go up and I start cutting the tree from the top. The, the, by the way, they're not fruit trees. I, I don't care, if they die, I don't even care. But I start cutting these branches down and normally it breaks and it goes like that. But because it was, I think, so wet, I started cutting through this and that branch just dropped. It just broke off the tree and dropped down. Right as it's dropping, a car is pulling up. And I normally watch for that, but I didn't expect anything. And this branch just goes and this car just, he, he swerves over, comes around, misses the branch, praise the Lord because it would have taken out his car, it was a big branch. And he pulls over here and parks and starts to get out of his truck. And I think, <laughs> I am in such big trouble. And he walks over to the front of his car and he op pulls up the uh, windshield wiper and pulls out a little twig that had landed on his truck. And he walks over to me and he hands it to me and he says, I think this is yours. <laughs> and I said, I am so sorry, he goes, no harm, no foul. He goes, I'm just glad I was able to avoid it. I said, you have no idea how glad I am that you were able to avoid it. Those were gracious words, right? Typically, what are we gonna do? We're gonna blast that person. You stupid idiot. How could you be so stupid as to drop a branch onto the road when I'm coming up? That's the way that we respond to people. I think his words were very gracious. Um, seasoned as with salt, I think moves more toward the idea that our words are to be moving people toward the Savior. Because seasoned with salt, the idea of salt is that it's a preservative. It's something that preserves and adds flavor to. And our speech should be such that it is drawing people toward the, save, toward the Savior. So we have to be careful in the way we speak. Now, 
um, I wanted to show you a few passages on gracious speech. And then we're going to um, talk about it because you guys may have some thoughts. And there's some areas I think that we really need to think about when it comes to gracious speech in our, in our modern age. Um, go to uh, Luke chapter four. And then we're gonna jump over to Proverbs. Um, this is where Jesus is speaking in the synagogue. So starting at verse 18, it says the spirit of the Lord Jesus is reading the scroll. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Uh, Jesus's words were gracious. Um, in this case, he's reading about the prophecy that's gonna be fulfilled and those were gracious words. Okay, so our Lord speaks gracious words. Now, jump with me back to Proverbs. Um, and there's actually a whole lot in Proverbs, mostly in Proverbs 15 and 16. So go to Proverbs 15 for those of us trying to figure out what it means to speak gracious words. Start at uh, 15 verse one. <clears throat> Most of you have this verse memorized, right? A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit, okay? So it didn't use the word gracious, but I think those are all gracious words. Uh, gracious words are a soft answer, but gracious words turn away wrath. If your words are causing anger in other people, then those are probably not gracious words, right? Um, gracious words are a tree of life, so they bring life. They're life-giving words. Notice what it says, perverse ways or perverse um, words break the spirit. So there's the opposite of life-giving words are words that break the spirit. And it's real easy for us to say words that break the spirit. And sometimes we get mad at somebody and we want to break their spirit. Those are perverse words. Uh, sometimes we we, to children, will say something that, that they, they'll remember for the rest of their life, that are words that are, are harsh words to them. And then the second verse, um, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fools pour, mouth of fools pour out um, 
folly. So these are words that commend knowledge or wisdom. Right? So those are gracious words. Um, go down to chapter uh, 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. Um, the, the words that we say not only have to be chosen well, they have to be said at the right time. Gracious speech has a timing aspect to it. There's a time to speak and a time to be quiet or a time not to address that issue. So gracious words are timely words. Right. Um, go down to verse 26 of Psalm 15, uh, Proverbs 15, excuse me. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. So there's a purity in gracious words. Gracious words are pure. These all would be uh, gracious words. Right. And then a, a couple of others. Um, go to chapter 16 um, and starting at verse 23. So just over a chapter. Proverbs 16, 23 through 24. It says, the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his speech. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So um, judicious words, and I'm not sure if I know exactly what that means. I'd ask Kirk, what are judicious words? Okay, um, and the second part of that is the uh, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So we're back to this idea, but gracious words are sweet and they bring health. By the way, that doesn't mean that there are never times where those words have to be hard words, right? Uh, this doesn't mean that we walk around simply talking sweetness and light all the time. It may be that the right word at the right time is one that cuts a person because we know in Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. There's a different role for parents and for friends than there are for somebody else. But there are times where our words, we treat everybody the same and we're not being careful in what we say and how we say it. Now, um, let me do this and then we're, we're gonna, I wanna take some, like I said, I do wanna give an opportunity and especially um, with uh, Scott here, with, uh, uh, you have an experience at the, the abortion clinic and my guess is that over time you've learned how to speak gracious words to outsiders and I'd like to hear from you if you're willing to, to bring that up. Um, but, um, what words are not gracious words? Insults. Okay, uh, insults. And Jesus talks about that, right? If you say to your neighbor, you fool, 
it's the equivalent of hating him. We insult people. Profanity? Um, yeah, uh, profanity, that actually is in um, a Colossians, profanity or obscene talk. Um, okay, what else? Okay, so our tone could make even a gracious word ungracious, perhaps. What else is an ungracious word? Okay, so put downs. Okay, and I, I would agree with, with all of that. Um, let's, let's look at what the Bible says, because I think it, uh, it correlates with that, certainly. Um, this idea of insult, um, words that cause other people to respond. Actually, you can tell if your words are gracious or not by the way people respond to them, right? In a sense, um, because if your words are stirring up wrath or tearing people down or not said at the right time, people are going to respond in a certain way. Um, go over to, um, we're going to do this pretty quick. Go over to Titus chapter 3. Verse 2. Titus chapter 3, verse 2. Um, he's talking about Timothy, I mean, Titus speaking to his people. He says, Remind, we'll start at verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, but to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So there he says, speak evil of no one and avoid quarreling. So we'll include that, speak evil of no one. And avoid quarreling. <laughs> By the way, there were two positive ones in there. Be gentle and speak, <clears throat> um, be, have perfect courtesy. It's interesting. There's the idea that our words are to be courteous words, but be gentle. Remember, gentleness is power under control. What does James say about the tongue? It's a vicious evil full of deadly poison. And we have power in our tongue, and we are to be gentle. So that means our tongue is to be under control. Um, there are some people who will say, I'm just plain spoken. I just say it the way it is. Yeah, it's not a Christian attitude. I, it doesn't matter. Ma we're not saying you shouldn't speak the truth, but we still have to be careful how we speak, especially toward outsiders, but actually toward all people. And people are pretty proud of the fact, fact that they don't speak gently or they don't control their tongue, okay? Um, jump over to, um, um, well, I, we don't have to look at these. Uh, Titus or Timothy, two says the same thing. Um, one of them says, um, don't speak in anger, angry words, and avoid quarreling. In fact, throughout Titus and Timothy, you will find that don't quarrel with each other. Quarreling is not speech that is, um, is gracious speech when you're quarreling. Yeah. Oh, partiality. Oh. Partiality. 
Okay, um, so you um, speaking with partiality? Yeah, so to, to <coughs> okay, and I would, I would agree when especially dealing with people like, um, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the exact example where that would come in. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so yeah, when people come into the service. The way you speak to, there we go. Okay, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, when people come in, the way we speak to them or treat them, depending upon their social status, um, not to be partial. All right, um, go to um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Uh, actually, it started verse 25. It says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we were members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath um, and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, start at verse, go down to 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, so that it may give grace to those who hear. So no corrupting talk. Um, and there that idea of grace is in there as well. And then um, let me throw out two other ones, and I'm just going to reference them. In Colossians, I mean, in Philippians, it says, do everything without grumbling or disputing. Um, it's hard for me to think of words that are less gracious than when we're grumbling and when we're disputing. And there's disputing is the idea of uh, quarreling. Um, as Christians, we are not to grumble. Um, and that's a hard one because we feel like we have the right to grumble, right? My boss is a jerk, so I'm gonna talk about him. And we start grumbling about our boss. Well, how many of these things have we, have we just violated. First of all, we're grumbling. We're probably insulting. We're probably putting him down. We're probably speaking evil of him. Um, and what it does is it's very corrosive to your testimony when you're speaking that way about somebody. Okay? So um, let, let me stop. We've got about 10 minutes. That's the, that's the background. So how do we apply this? Uh, let me throw out one idea, and then I do want to get a, a comment from, from Scott. Um, uh, I don't do Facebook, but I know a lot of people who do. And I have been told by somebody close to me that Facebook has become so offensive to them because everybody on there is so political now. and. Everybody pulls out things that they, whatever side of the argument you're on, that you assume that everybody on there agrees with you or you're trying to make a political point. And so there's insulting things that are said or hurtful things that are said. And I'm just wondering if as Christians, and Facebook I know isn't actual speaking to the person, but it's pretty close, it's our words. 
I think what, what impressed me is when we start speaking to people, what is the point? I mean, I realize we talk to people all day long. And that's what James says. It's hard to control your tongue all day long. But I think this goes back to intentionality. Our goal is to lead people to the Savior. Our goal is not to produce more people who think like us in terms of politics, right? Our goal isn't, we, we all get topics that we become really fascinated by and then we begin to narrow our circle until the only people we're talking to are people who are exactly like us. And, and it's a shame because I think people are being, being turned off where a, a witness opportunity is being lost. So I throw that out as one example. Um, and so I guess what I'm gonna do now, if you don't have anything, but can you go ahead and share with us about the, because I, I know I've heard David Morris talk, I haven't heard you down there, but just that over time you've learned how to speak to people.
Okay, so watching how you speak and obviously being gracious toward those who are interested in hearing, you're going to come apart at them as one who needs compassion and, and kindness. Any other examples of gracious speech in your life? Perhaps somebody said something gracious to you or where you were gracious towards somebody else. Start with Bruce. And that would be, yeah, the goal is to open up doors of opportunity for the gospel. Adrian. I think there's a difference. I mean, Scott has like one-time encounters. Um, I think with someone I know, I called roommates, an attorney in San Francisco. We had just ongoing conversations. And uh, being Jewish, he doesn't believe in the Passover. Um, so I just had conversations. Well, you celebrate Hanukkah. That was when Antichrist um, Epiphany, you know, uh, Surely.
Yep. Rod. <clears throat> Thinking about what Scott was saying and graciousness and so forth, there's a, a person um, in Portland that I've gotten to know in my home, probably short of 40 of a few years. He's, he's a good looking guy. He's, he's in shape. He's extremely knowledgeable of the word. Uh, I've talked to him a number of times and he can be a real encouragement to me. The other day he came uh, in to help me set up the chapel and just he and I and he, um, he started sharing with me his concern about Trump's exporting um, non-citizens that are in our prisons. And he says, I'm a man without a country. And I said, really? And he says, yeah, when my parents were 10 years old, they, they renounced Russia and moved and we ended up in Los Angeles. He says they were unprepared for the culture they were moving into. And he says, I spent years eight or 10 through 18 in and out of juvenile hall all the time. He says, when I became 18, I thought it would be great to go with my buddy to rob a place. We robbed him. He says, I ended up killing a guy. And he says, so I've never become a citizen of the U.S. I'm no longer a citizen of Russia, but he says, I am a citizen of heaven. And I said, Michael, I said, man, you touched my soul. I mean, here's a guy that's been in jail for at least 20 years, and he's not even 40. And he says, Michael, I said, you, I, you touched my soul. And he's, I said, I feel deeply for you. And his response to me was, Rod, I brought that on myself. And I thought, what a gracious man who lives in a hellish situation, who understands what he's done, but he understands the great grace that God's given him. Yep. And just peace with patience. Yeah. Let me, we, we need to wrap this up because we're a little over. What is it that causes us not to be gracious in our speech? Pride. I think more often than not, it's pride. We're, we're not thinking of the person that we're speaking to. We're thinking of ourselves. And, and it, sometimes it's just careless cluelessness as well, but oftentimes it's pride. And that's why I think the, the key to both of these is that we need to think and live intentionally to draw people to the, to the Savior. Um, I had a, a student at Christmas wrote me a letter. Um, and, and just before this, I had another interaction with somebody who was really upset and I was gonna blast them. And I actually was in a position where I had a right to blast them. And I, instead, I, I answered graciously because I realized that this person was hurting. And it actually broke open a relationship that had been um, kind of damaged before. And I'm not one who's often very gracious in my speech. I, I get called on that a lot. But this was something where I, it was like, wow, this was eye-opening for me. So I had this student, he writes me a letter. He got a D in chemistry. He writes me a letter over e Christmas break. And the letter <coughs> says, I think he's gonna ask me to change his grade. He writes and he says, dear Mr. Booker, 
Um, I want you to know I didn't get a D in chemistry because I, I'm dumb. In fact, I have an IQ of 174, and I'm in the top 99.998472% of the population in terms of intelligence. I got a D because um, I don't think school has any value, and especially chemistry, and I simply chose not to learn it. And then went on to insult me, you know, and to, I mean, it was this letter that was very, okay, how do you respond? Well, as a teacher, I want to just blast the kid. Tell him, who do you think you are, you little twerp, to talk to me that way? And I almost wrote him back that way. And then I, I stopped and I redid it. And finally, I wrote him back and I, I said, I, I didn't really, I kind of lied. I said, thank you for your email. Um, and then I, I just talked with him about, um, about, I understand. I never thought you were dumb. You didn't get a, that grade. You got the grade because you didn't learn the material. I don't totally disagree with you about some of the things that you're saying. And then I just threw out some things to think about. And he wrote me back and said, I'm going to be completely successful without school. And I wrote him back and I said, well, what do you mean by success? And all of a sudden now we're having a conversation. Um, because his definition of success needs to conform with God's definition of success. But, but I thought the, 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 the reason I would not have answered him graciously is pride. He hurt my pride. He said something to me that bothered me. So I'm going to blast him. And as a teacher, I could probably say I have the right to do it. I do, but this is a person who needs the gospel. He needs to know Jesus Christ. And we need to be thinking of that when we deal with people. Those of you who are employers, it's, I think, especially difficult when you're dealing with an employee because if they're not doing their job, they need to be rebuked. And yet, at the same time, they need to be done in such a way that, that they know you care about them and that they are, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's hard. Parents have trouble sometimes with our children. It's easy for us to step into that role and say, it's my job to rebuke or correct. But our words are always to be gracious. So uh, we are over time, and they've asked us to try and get parents to get over and get their kids by 10 after. Um, any last comments, though, on gracious speech? All right. Go out and live intentionally. Think about what we're doing, what we're saying. Is that drawing people to the Savior? If it's not, we need to change and do it different.